Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. All right, Crosspoint, good to see you. Hope things are uh, going well there this Sunday. I hate that I am out, and um, I actually hate that we're having to do this by video, but to stay on schedule and try to complete the book of 1 Thessalonians, I felt like it was best that we keep pushing on. And so we're actually going to finish out 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 today. We were originally going to break this into two lessons, um, but uh, we are going to try to finish it out so that we can start a new series uh, next Sunday that coincides with our Wednesday night Bible study. If you're here and you're a guest, we don't always have video teaching. Uh, I hate that I did not get the opportunity to meet you, so hopefully you'll be back next week. We would love to uh, get an opportunity to shake your hand. Hopefully you've been uh, given a connection card. I'd love to write you a note and uh, just thank you for being there, give you a gift card. And so uh, anyways, this is not our typical Sunday teaching time, uh, but wanted to make sure that we were able to complete the book. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 is where we're going to be for today. And um, I want you to recall, we're not going to take the time to reintroduce really where we're at in the book, especially by way of video. But I want you to recall what we talked about last week. If you weren't here with us last week, then let me give you a brief review of where we kind of ended. We ended with lesson number 10, and we talked about what it means and really what do we have to look forward to when we think of living in light of eternity, which has been really the theme of this whole book. And so Paul is writing this to a young church. He's really giving them an opportunity to review some things that he might not have covered while he was there. And he's dealing specifically with what happens after death, what those of us who are still alive have to look forward to. And so he talks about the rapture. He talks about when Jesus Christ is going to come back. He talks about what that's going to look like in chapter at the end of chapter number four. And so chapter number five is really going to be a part two of that. But then it's also going to be part two of a lesson that we did a couple of weeks ago about practical advice for living in light of eternity. And so if you can kind of remember that what we closed with last week was this idea of when you have a vacation, when you have a trip, or when you have something that you're looking forward to, it makes what you are doing in that moment so much more fulfilling. It makes it a little bit less burdensome. Um, why? Because you have something that you're looking forward to. The hope of what is to come makes the present easier to bear. And I want to say that again because I want you to catch that. The hope of what is to come makes the present easier to bear. And many times when we as Christians get distracted or unfocused on what is to come, what is our future, then it, the present gets a lot more burdensome. It gets a lot more difficult. And you and I as Christians have something in our future that we can hope for, that we can look forward to. And that should make the present and what we are called to do right now in this moment on this earth so much more easy to bear. And so with that in mind, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. We're going to read the whole chapter. I know that that might be difficult by way of video. And so we'll read the whole chapter. 
just so that you can have a feel for it. And then we'll go through some quick points. Hopefully you've got some notes there that you can follow along with. Um, if not, maybe while I'm reading this, some guys can grab those and get those passed out. Uh, but I'm looking forward to being back, starting our new series next week. But for now, we're going to stay on track and look at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. And so if you would follow along with me, the Bible says this, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. If you've been in our church uh, over the last couple of weeks, we did a series called The Signs of the Times, and that, that wording there in verse number three refers back to Matthew chapter number 24, uh, uses a woman in labor, a, a birthing pains as a sign of Jesus Christ's return. And so verse number four says this, but ye brethren are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep in the night and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love. For their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves now we exhort you brethren warn them that are unruly comfort the feeble-minded support the weak be patient toward all men see that none render evil for evil unto any man but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men verse number 16 rejoice evermore pray without ceasing in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. I want you to go and look at what I believe is really the key verse of this passage because it points our eyes back to God. Look at verse number 24. He says this, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. All the stuff that we're getting ready to talk about, all the stuff that we've talked about so far in this book that looks uh, that causes our eyes to look for eternity is not up to us. Our faithfulness does not determine what God is going to do. God is faithful. God will do what he promises. It is our job to get on board with God's plan and see how he can use us. And so let's pray. We'll talk about that for the next couple of minutes and we'll ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I know this is different. I know this is not ideal. Lord, I know that this is not even really probably the best form to do this. 
But God, I ask that you would help us as we look into your words. Lord, I pray that you would eliminate distractions. Help us to be focused on your word, not on maybe something that is glitching or something that's not going right. Lord, I pray that you would help everything to run smoothly there. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to take the words that we have just read in Scripture and the thoughts that we're going to talk about and apply them so that we may live in light of eternity in this day and age in which it is becoming more and more difficult. Lord, I ask that you would give me the words to say, give me wisdom as I teach. Lord, give me wisdom as I teach uh, uh, on this video. Lord, it is not the easiest thing to do. But God, I pray that you would help us to be able to take it and use it in our hearts and our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So as Paul continues really the thought of how the end times, how eternity is going to look, he really in chapter number five changes his tone and stops talking about what it will look like and more how to get ready for it. And so the first thing that I want you to see is the preparation for eternity of those in darkness. The preparation for eternity of those in darkness. And you see this in verses one through three when he says this, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. Why would he say that he has no need that, they, that he writes unto them? And here he explains it. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. So he says, those who are in darkness, we'll see this in some of the uh, later verses, those who are in darkness can't prepare because for them, it's coming upon them as a thief in the night. You can't prepare for a robbery. You can't prepare for labor pains. You can't prepare for a birth. You can only prepare if you know what is coming. And so as he talks about those who are in darkness, those who are unsaved, those who have not accepted the light of Jesus Christ, he says, for them, this is going to come as a sudden surprise. And you know, sometimes as I watch the news and sometimes as I maybe see some things on social media, I step back and I think, man, are, are, are Christians the only ones who are seeing this? Are Christians the only ones who are paying attention to anything? Are they the only ones who see that maybe this world is, is not really getting better, it's actually getting worse. And when I come to a passage like this, it kind of feels like I'm right. It, it kind of feels like that we're right. It kind of feels like that, hey, we're not missing it. It's that people have become blinded. They think that things are getting better. In fact, in verse number two or verse number three, it says that they say peace and safety. They believe that they've arrived. They believe that there's, they've created their own little bubble of peace. They've created their own little bubble of safety. And just as soon as mankind and humanity in the world believes that they have found a way to isolate themselves, to insulate themselves from maybe God's wrath or God's judgment, the thief, the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. And there's nothing that they can do to be prepared for it because they don't have the wisdom of Scripture that's speaking into their lives. So when we look at the preparation of, for eternity of those in darkness, the truth is, is that there is no preparation for them at all. There's nothing that they can do to prepare for it because their minds cannot even fathom or understand what is going to happen and what Jesus Christ and what God has promised to do. Here's the application for you and I. The greatest preparation that we have made as Christians for eternity is when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. The greatest preparation that anybody can make for eternity is to be saved, to be, have their sins forgiven, to accept the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and know that their eternity is heaven and begin to develop a relationship with God. Outside of that, 
the preparation that they can make for eternity is fruitless. Hell is still real. Heaven is still beautiful. Heaven is still glorious. Christ is still on his throne. And the preparation that is made by those in darkness is really no preparation at all. And that is why for you and I as Christians, if you're in this room today and you are a Christian, that motivation should be, if they are not prepared, it is my job to get the gospel to them so that they may become prepared. And if you're sitting in the room today, I don't know who's there. Uh, I won't find out until uh, probably after class is over. But if you're sitting in this this room today and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, not to be unkind and not to maybe be too blunt, but you're not prepared for eternity. You're not prepared for what is coming and what is happening after life here on this earth. And so my challenge to you today would be to find one of the leaders of our the help out in our class, either Matt and Karis or Jordan and Brittany or, or any really anyone who's been in our church for a while that should be able to walk you through what it means to have your eternity settled by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Outside of that, there's no preparation that we can make, which is why when we get down to the, uh, verse number four, we'll see secondly, Not just the preparation of eternity for those in darkness, but the preparation for eternity of those in the light. The preparation of eternity for those in the light. I want you to look at verse number four. He says, but ye brethren are not in darkness. He says, that's not how you prepare. This is how you're going to prepare. That the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore... Let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep in the night and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. The preparation that you and I as Christians are called to make for eternity has already been made. Now it's just a matter of getting our behavior, of of maybe changing our lifestyle, maybe changing the way that we live a little bit, of keeping our focus off of this life and focusing on the life that we have in eternity. And so I want to share just quickly four preparations for those of us in the light. First of all, don't prepare as those in the dark. It's interesting to me that he uses an analogy of a thief in the night. And he says that those who are in darkness cannot prepare for this thief. They can't prepare for this robbery. The truth is, is that you can't really be prepared for a robbery. The only thing that you can do is not fear it. The only thing that you can do is prepare your mind and prepare your heart for when it happens, this is what I know. I'm looking to something else. I'm not, I'm not intended for this life. And for you and I as Christians, our goal is not to fear the rapture. Our goal is not to maybe be scared of it. We cannot fear that which does not affect us. And so for us, the rapture may be just as sudden as what it will be for those in darkness. But there's not a fear element attached to it. There's nothing that we should worry about because our eternity is settled. So don't prepare as those in, the dar- in darkness. But secondly, be sober and watch. 
be sober and watch. This isn't talking about a sobriety as far as alcohol or, or drugs or uh, substance abuse. This is talking about a sobriety that is referring to seriousness. He says, be sober, be serious, take your Christian life seriously. And if there's ever a time in human history where Christians should be elevating their Christian life, beginning to take it more seriously, I believe it's right now in 2021. I know that for those who are in our class and maybe those who kind of go in and out of church right now, it feels like that Christianity isn't cool, okay? And we've the world has tried to make Christianity cool. Churches have tried to make Christianity cool. But the sad truth is that sometimes when Christianity isn't cool or it isn't trendy, it becomes a little bit more difficult to practice. Can I encourage you that now is the time to make your Christianity and make your faith serious? It's not a time to follow a trendy Christianity. It's not a time to follow some sort of carnal or cultural Christianity. It is a time for you to elevate your sobriety to say, I'm serious because I know that Jesus Christ is coming back. I'm going to start watching for him. And then thirdly is protect your heart and mind. I want you to look at this. He actually, um, if you want to cross-reference to this, he this verse would cross-reference with Ephesians chapter number 6, where we learn about the armor of God. I want you to look at verse number 8. He says, but let us who are of the day be sober. So he once again mentions the seriousness of it. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. He only mentions two items in the armor of God. He says, the breastplate of faith and love, talking about your heart. The breastplate protects your heart. Don't give your heart to the things of this world. But then he says, secondly, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Don't let the world override the salvation that you know that you already have in Jesus Christ. If you're not careful, you'll get caught up in everything, thinking that you have to be prepared for the apocalypse, thinking that you have to be prepared for this. You'll get caught up in doomsday uh, devices. You'll get caught up in all of this stuff that is clamoring for your attention and placing your salvation in your own hands. When if you as a Christian can step back and say, I'm going to protect my heart and I'm going to protect my head with the helmet of salvation, then that is how we prepare for eternity. And the last thing is this is remember your salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. He gives him a little reminder, just saying, this is what you have to look forward to. Your salvation is settled. You're not, you're not down here in this earth to receive the wrath that comes from Jesus Christ. You're here because you have received eternity so that you can go on to live with him. And so here's what I want us to do. Number three, I know if you're looking at your notes, you're going to think, holy cow, we're going to be, we're going to be late for 11 o'clock church if we get through all those. I'm going to give, you, give them all to you, and we're going to give you a brief explanation and fly through this. But here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to think about, okay? I know that when we look at something like this, we think, oh my goodness, there's no, I thought the Christian life wasn't about do's and don'ts. And we're going to go through this and you're going to think, this is, this is just too much. Like this is a Christian checklist. If you'll hang on to the end, I'll give you a little caveat that I think will help you. Okay. So what's the response for eternity for you and I? What is the response for eternity? Here's what I want you to see. As Paul closes out this book, he really just gives them some bullet points about the Christian life. He really just says, when you look to your eternity, when you look toward heaven, 
this should be your response. And so here they are. First of all, comfort yourself and encourage others with eternity. That's found in verse number 11. He says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. You have a discouraging day. Run back to the fact that this world is not your home. You have someone who's going through a hard time. Maybe it's a Christian friend. Encourage them that this is just for a time. We're only down here for a little bit. And so let's make the most of it. Encourage yourself and others with eternity. Secondly, remember those who lead you. Remember those who lead you. In verse number 12, he says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. If you have someone in your life that is leading you and pushing you and drawing you closer to Jesus Christ, then that is something to be valued. That is something to be elevated. That is something to be honored. And so he reminds them of that. Verse number 14 here, where, and then at the end of verse number 13, he says, and be at peace among yourselves. So be at peace with others. I don't know about you, but one of the greatest motivations for wanting to be at peace with those around me is the fact that one of these days, I could stand before Jesus Christ at any moment. The Bible teaches us that our life is a vapor. Our life is fleeting. Our life is fast. And in just a moment's eye, we can either be caught up in the rapture or death can come suddenly and tragically. And it happens to Christians each and every day. But guess what? That should motivate us to be at peace with those around us. I don't want to leave a sour taste in the lives and in the hearts of those around me because of how I was at odds with them or how they lacked or how we lacked peace in our relationships. So be at peace with others. Then number four or letter D, warn the unruly. Warn the unruly. Verse number 14. Now we exhort you, brethren. Warn them that are unruly. Help those that are maybe out of line. If you have someone that is in your family, someone that's a friend that you feel like that you can speak the truth to them and love, and they're maybe not in church, they're not following God. Eternity should motivate you to say, hey, let's get this fixed. If you have someone in your family that's lost, May I encourage you to make a habit of praying for them, talking about the gospel with them as much as you possibly can. Because the days down here are, are short. We don't know when Christ is coming back, but we do know that it could be soon and we should be looking for that. Warn the unruly, letter E, comfort the feeble-minded. Comfort the feeble-minded, he says this in verse number 14. Comfort the feeble-minded, meaning this that those that are around you whose minds might be suffering. You look at the year that we had over the last year, and we're talking about this some on Wednesdays, and we'll begin talking about it uh, on Sundays beginning next week. But the mind has been beaten over, or has been beaten to death, really, over the last year. Many people who have strong minds, who had strong bodies, who had strong lifestyles and strong habits, everything got thrown up in the air. You look at some of the older people of our church who, who have yet to really maybe get plugged back into some of the areas that they were in. That is a time for us not to scorn, but an opportunity for us to comfort and say, let us help you, let us serve you, let us comfort you. And then thirdly, he says, support the weak. Support the, or not thirdly, support the weak, letter F. Letter F, support the weak. Find someone around you that you can help move forward toward Jesus Christ. Find someone around you that you can love on, that you can lift up, support the weak. And then he says this, show patience to everybody. Man, what a calling. 
If there's ever a time to where it's really hard to be patient, it's right now. I don't know if I'm becoming more impatient or if people are becoming more stupid, but either way, we as Christians are called to be patient with everybody. He doesn't give us an out on this one. He says, don't be patient with just those. Be patient toward those who you can work alongside of. He says, be patient toward all men. Those people that frustrate you may be the very people that Christ has called you to reach and encourage and support and comfort as you begin to be patient toward them. May they see that you are a Christian whose eyes are on eternity and not what you can get out of them in that moment. And then letter G, or letter H, uh, don't practice vengeance but good. I want you to see this, verse number 15. See that none render evil for evil unto man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. He says, see that none render evil for evil. Someone does you wrong, someone does something evil to you. That's not an excuse for you to show vengeance and do evil back. In fact, it's an opportunity for you to show the love of Christ by exemplifying that you can show them good. But he says, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. That doesn't just apply to Christians. That applies to all men, according to verse number 15. And then verse number 16, rejoice, rejoice. That's a hard one to do in today's society. Sometimes it feels like that rejoicing is completely unnatural. When we look at maybe all of our problems, maybe you look at your bank account or you look at the class schedule that you have for this semester or you look at your work schedule and probably your first reaction is not rejoicing. And yet, according to scripture, for the Christian who is living in light of eternity, they are rejoicing every, ever more because they have one more opportunity to show just how good God is. So rejoice ever more. Verse number uh, 17 and letter J is this, pray continually. He says, pray without ceasing. I've said this before in this class that one of my favorite songs is, uh, I need thee every hour. And as I've gotten further along in life and maybe a little older and maybe accumulated a few more problems along the way, I almost feel as though that song could be reworded in that I need thee every minute or I need thee every second. You know what I find myself doing now on days that are weary and days that are hard, maybe days that are stressful, is I find myself worrying less and praying more. And I pray that it is always like that. I'm still human and I still have moments of worry, moments of stress, moments of anxiety. But at the same time, I've gotten to the point to where I've found that I'm not as good at solving my problems as God is. And praying without ceasing is natural when you begin to get yourself in a situation where God is your only solution. So pray without ceasing. And then in verse number 18, a popular verse, maybe one that I don't know that we completely understand or comprehend, but he says, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, give thanks. You know, sometimes at Thanksgiving, we sit around a table and we thank the Lord for all of the good things. We thank him for the food on the table, the roof over our head, the cars in the driveway, the, our family, our friends. We thank him for all the good things. But when was the last time that you said, I'm going to give thanks for everything? I'm going to give thanks for maybe that difficult coworker. I'm going to give thanks for that tough class schedule. I'm going to give thanks for maybe that loss of a job. Why? Because this is the will of God, according to verse number 18. This is the will of God. Give thanks in everything. And then letter L. 
is don't quiet the spirit. He uses a strong word here. He says, quench not the spirit, basically saying this, don't pour water on the fire of the Holy Spirit that is in your heart and in your life as a Christian. The Bible teaches us that at salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and he indwells us. And that's why in Ephesians chapter number five, we're taught to be filled with the Spirit. It's not a matter of the fact that the Spirit is not there. It's a matter of how much of ourselves is full of the Spirit. And if you're not careful, that little fire inside your bones that comes from the Holy Spirit of God, when you open His Word, when you pray, when you sit in a church service, when you sit in class, that little fire that boils up, sometimes we are better at quenching it and pouring a pitcher of water on it rather than pouring gasoline on it and saying, overtake me. And if we're going to experience revival like what we've been praying for as a church, like what we've been seeking as a class, like what we've been praying for even in our own individual lives, it won't be the result of pouring water on the fire that's boiling in our lives. It will be the result of pouring some gasoline and saying, God, I want you to get more of me. And so quench not the spirit or don't quiet the spirit. Don't push that down. Let me just go ahead and add this. Romans chapter number eight talks about how that the spirit beareth witness. It, it bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. And sometimes when I look at people who are maybe doubting their salvation or they're doubting maybe whether or not they're saved, it's not the fact that they can't recall a time where they were saved, but the feeling does not match their faith. And it could very well be that that spirit that you've suppressed, that spirit that you've quenched, that you've poured water on, that's the same spirit that is confirming your salvation. And if you're sitting in these chairs today and you say, I'm doubting my salvation. I don't know if I'm a child of God. I don't I need, feel like I need to get some security. I can recall a time. It could very well be that you've quenched that spirit, that you've suppressed it, that you've quieted it. And so I would encourage you to not quench the spirit because that same spirit that is working in you is also the one that is confirming your salvation. And then uh, letter M, letter M. Listen to the preaching of the word of God. Listen to the preaching of the word of God. He says, despise not prophesying. Despise not does not mean that necessarily when I talk about listen, I'm not saying that you always got to have AirPods in and listening to preaching, okay? Here's what I'm saying. Is that when you sit down and you sit in a room where the word of God is opened and it's preached or it's taught clearly, sometimes I, I see people who they scoff the word of God and they're, they're sitting in a church pew. They wanna, wanna talk about everybody in the world that's doing it wrong. And just because they show up to church and they never change anything in their life, they're always critical, they always are critiquing, they're despising prophesyings. And the longer that I live and the closer that we get to Jesus Christ's return, I'm finding that the more that we should hunger for the Word of God, the more that we should hunger to be around those who enjoy the Word of God. I'll just be honest with you that if you spend your days, months, years, and weeks talking about things other than God, then I think that what most of the time you're experiencing is that you have yet to allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly, as the, as the Bible says. You've just made church a, a commodity. You've just made it a country club where you get to come and hang out with a few people. You've made it a duty, not something that actually changes you, not something that actually seeks and searches your heart and searches your life for what could be changed 
And so despise not prophesying. And then verse number 21 and 22 really go together. Many times we break them up. But he says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. I have this one in your, in your notes as filter everything, keep what is good. Keep what is good. Filter everything, keep what is good, and then avoid what is evil. So if you can almost imagine a funnel, a funnel that starts out wide and that you begin to pour everything in, there's going to be levels. There's going to be eventually be something that sneaks out. There's going to be different sizes and different things that hold things together to keep it from running out. And the Bible says to filter everything. He says, prove all things, test them. You don't know if a TV show is right, test it. Put it up against scripture. Are there things in there that don't align with Scripture? You don't know whether the music that you're listening to is right? Test it with Scripture. You don't know whether the person that you're following on social media is biblical? Test it with Scripture. Prove all things. Test them. Filter everything. And then he says this, keep what is good. Hold fast that which is good. So he says, if you find something that aligns with Scripture, something that matches up with Scripture, something that is good for your Christian life, then hold on to that. But then he says this, abstain from all appearance of evil. Filter everything, keep what is good, avoid what is evil. I believe the reason why he says the appearance of evil is this. Most of the time, if something looks evil, it probably is. And so Paul doesn't say, Go and find out if something is evil. Man, if it looks evil, you should probably go and check it just to make sure. No, avoid even the appearance of evil, and here's why. Because if you avoid the appearance of evil, you will very rarely have problems avoiding that which is evil. And it may very well be that you arrive in heaven and some of the things that you've avoided in your Christian life or avoided in your life that God says, hey, guess what? It wasn't evil. And I think we'll be okay. But avoid the appearance of evil, which leads us to this last thought. And that is this. I want you to notice that the work of God for eternity, verse 23 and verse 24, we'll close with this. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. I love the way that Paul closes this book to these young Christians. He brings them right back to where it all started. And he says, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. God's going to do his job. God's going to do his part. And then he says in verse 24, Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Here's the catch that I wanted to give to you, okay? The truth is, is that as a child of God, you read through a list like what we just went through, you read some through the points, and sometimes it can feel overwhelming. But I believe that the catch is not to develop some great Christian checklist that you can compare with everybody else. I believe the catch is this, that as you focus on eternity and as you focus your life on who God is and what he is doing, those 17, 18, 19, I don't even know how many there were, things that we just gave you, that Paul gave these Christians becomes very natural. 
When all of a sudden you're not the solution to your own problems, pray without ceasing becomes pretty natural. When all of a sudden you get that feeling of the Holy Spirit doing something in your heart and in your life, quench not the Spirit becomes pretty natural. When you step back and you look at maybe those who are struggling, those who maybe you're frustrated with, all of a sudden being patient toward all men, comforting the feeble-minded and supporting the weak becomes very natural. Why? Because our mind and our eyes are focused on eternity and focused on the fact that God is going to do his job. It's my job to get in on what God is already doing. And as we close out this book, here's my final challenge to you. My final challenge isn't to take those points and go and make yourself a little note card that you can go and you can check every single day. Okay, did I support the weak? Did I comfort the feeble-minded? Was I patient toward all men? Did I pray without ceasing? Did I quench not the spirit? Did I do all those things? Did I listen to any preaching today? Okay, that's not the goal. The goal is this. Keep your eyes on eternity and keep your heart and mind focused on what God is doing what God is going to do, what he's already done in your life. And all of a sudden, there will be this joy that begins to bubble up. There'll be this desire, because why? Let's go back to our introduction. The hope of what is expected makes the present so much less burdensome. And yeah, the Christian life can feel heavy, can feel like a lot of stuff to do. But when you step back and you find joy and focus and drive because of what you have to come through Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden those other things begin to be easy. And so we're going to pray, ask the Lord to help us. I apologize for the length of the lesson. I apologize that it was on video. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help settle this book into our hearts and lives. I believe this is about the 10th or 11th book we've finished as a class. Our plan is to do much more before Jesus Christ returns. But this one specifically hits home because I think that for all of us, we've found that in the last year, year and a half, that this world probably wasn't as great as what we thought it was. And that's not a motivation for us to go out and change it. It's a motivation for us to realize that we were never intended to be sold out to this world anyways. And so let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to bless. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to look into your word. Lord, I ask you to help us to take the thoughts of 1 Thessalonians. Lord, our eyes on eternity, our eyes focused on what you're doing. You are faithful. May we get in on the plan that you are already accomplishing so that you can use us for your honor and for your glory. And we ask all these things in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for listening. Have a good rest of your day. We miss being there. We look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.